This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, having a friend who posts everything online is weird. Like everywhere you go, you never know if they're taking a picture of you to take a picture of the two of you or to post it online. Like, this is who I know. This is who I'm hanging out with. Now, imagine if that was your parents and they posted your entire childhood online. Author and journalist Fortessa Latifi tells us about her investigation into the kids who have had their whole lives posted online without their permission. Well, now they're almost grown up and they get recognized everywhere they go and they don't have a choice in the matter. Sucks. The summer of cyber safety with Hank the Hacker continues as we take a look at passwords. Hank tells us how to keep your passwords safe and how to pass them on to your loved ones if you pass away. We're passing on a lot of passing with our, our pass at that conversation. Are you okay with hot dogs? A lot of them. Are you okay with dinosaur costumes? All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Part of me absolutely hates social media. Now, isn't that ironic coming from a guy who's lived his whole career in the media? Um, yeah, if I could avoid it, I would stay away from it. At the same time, kind of like seeing my friend's photos. What's everybody up to? I really, really get confused, though, with the overshare. I don't know about you. We have stumbled upon an article. Ryan found it. And the author of this article is is here now. Her name's Fortessa Latifi. Now, uh, Fortessa has been a writer uh, for a long time and written a bunch of poetry books, actually, which is really kind of cool. There's a, uh, I will share those at shiftheads.ca, by the way, so you can find them and, and look them up for yourself. Now, Fortessa, the irony is is your poetry became basically a mainstay in American um, poetry because you went viral on Tumblr way back when. And <laughs> here we are looking at social media behavior of parents with your article, and uh, we're about to be really critical of it. I, at least I am. Um, I find the irony uh, inescapable, and I find it quite beautiful, isn't it? That's, that's what social media is to us. It's love-hate. Totally. I think, I think you're right, but I just can't help but think it's totally different just because I was an adult when I made that choice versus yes. an adult making that choice for me as a baby. So Right. Putting it out there for you. By the yeah. way, this is now your problem. My friends have said many times over, I have said many times over, put down the tablet, put down the screen. You got to get off the screen, get out in life. And as I get mm -hmm. older in life and I mature for Tessa, I find that I that connects with me more and more just to get out, get my hands dirty, live life a little bit. Um, yet we see this generation of parents, and I guess it still goes on, that have basically published with zero permission their entire children's lives, capitalized on it, profited off it, mm -hmm. and published it all on the internet. And now the kids are left to pick up the pieces. Tell me about your article and, and the fundamental pieces of, of why you did it and what it's about. Right. So I've been thinking about the children of influencers and children who are made into influencers without their consent or really without their understanding of what they're undertaking. And during that kind of obsession of mine, I was falling down a few internet rabbit holes and I connected with the source that I call Claire in my article. So 
I don't use Claire's real name because she is not yet 18 and she's still living with her parents who run the family YouTube channel. And so she's not ready to say her actual name yet. But I mean, Claire, it's just fascinating. When I look her up online, I see videos of her as a toddler, as a young child, as a teenager. I mean, she literally grows up online and in front of millions of subscribers throughout hundreds of videos and she didn't have a say in any of it. Now, some parenting things people might say that, you know, that's what parents do. They make decisions on our behalf. So, you know, I agree with you. I'm just trying to be a little bit antagonistic. Um, but at the same time, when you look at TV shows and all of the other things that happen in the world of entertainment, there are today versus a few decades ago, limitations on how old an actor, you're making air quotes, can be as a baby on the mm -hmm. TV. So in the world of social media, they don't have any standards like that. So I really get the fact that there are standards in entertainment. There's nothing on social media, and yet people are profiting off it. Right. I mean, there's literally, at least in the U.S., there are no labor laws that take into account child influencers. And there are activists and lawmakers who are pushing for protections for the privacy and the earnings of children of influencers and child influencers. But right now, I mean, the law is decades behind the culture. What have you found? The pain that carries forward with this um, Claire person that Claire lives a life today that was, she's internet famous, basically. And mm -hmm. as you've described it, and please correct me if I get this wrong, she literally will go out places with her friends as an almost adult and still get approached by people who recognize her from her entire life growing up on the internet and now is stuck with it. There, there's a celebrity that she had no choice in, has to live with every day, I'm guessing if Claire could scrub the internet clean, um, that would probably be on the task of things to do. Yeah, she definitely would. And I asked her that if she wishes that none of this existed, and she does wish that. But of course, as we know, there's nothing that she can do about that now. And I think even more than this, the online footprint, which is obviously substantial. It's also that she's been working her entire childhood. Like, it's easy to think, oh, you're just like making YouTube videos. It's not that serious or whatever. But I mean, this is a family channel that gets has millions of subscribers and makes enough money that both of Claire's parents quit their jobs because it was enough money to not only sustain the family, but actually like increase how much money they had been making from before. And so I mean, something that I just find so fascinating with this is like, you're not really allowed to be a child in the same way when you're growing up online. And that's both because you're an employee from so young. And also because, I mean, I think <laughs> these kids don't have the right to privacy that other people have where you can make mistakes, or you can like get a bad haircut or whatever. And you know, you can laugh about it with your family, but hide it from, you know, like your boss doesn't need to know or whatever. But like these kids, you can look up everything. Like you can look up how they were potty trained. Oh, that one hurts. I mean, it's bad enough when I think your, um, your ex 
post something, right? Or, <laughs> yeah. or you own a business and someone posts something about your coffee shop or whatever, and that stuff lives on on the internet. When I would, that's where my brain was when you were speaking about growing up, and then you just said potty training, and mm-hmm. that just hit me like a like a ton of bricks. Like that's invasion of privacy. Um, now, if you want to share, hey, if that's your 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 freak flag, you want to share that stuff on the internet because you love it, then you give her. That's as intimate as it gets for your own privacy. That that's one of those ones to me that should be, um, you know, th- that's got to be someone's prerogative, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think a a difficult thing, I've written a few different stories about this now, just about child influencers from a few different angles. And some of the parents that I've spoken to have said like, oh, well, I ask my kid if they want to be involved or I like make sure that I'm getting their consent. And that's just a whole other question that I think hasn't even been explored is like, at what age can a child consent to something like this? Because I, I think like, I mean, you mentioned my poetry. I think when I first started posting that, I was 19 and I had no idea what that meant, that that would be there forever, you know, and I was 19 years old. And so for me to talk to parents and for them to say that their nine-year-old is consenting or whatever, I just don't understand how that could really be possible in like a meaningful way. If you think back to when you were that age, um, you might have missed it slightly, I know that with my kids, because it was about 10 years ago, that, you know, that being as a career, being a YouTube star, YouTuber, mm-hmm. um, as it's become its own noun and verb, um, the, the, I mean, that is a career aspiration for many kids that are 10, eight, stuff like that. So how in the world would you balance that? I mean, I agree with you 100%. Like, at what point? It's, it is what it is. I get my buddy Chad asked about tattoos once. And I said, how old is, how, how young is too young to, for permission for a tattoo? I find that this, this conversation is very similar mm-hmm. because it lives with you for the rest of your life. Um, you can kind of get it removed, but not really. <laughs> and at what point are you too young, right? To put stuff on the internet. And there, Chad had a great answer. He goes, I know a lot of 45 year olds who get really dumb tattoos. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. But when it comes to, the willingness or at least the one might think the intellect to deal with the consequences of that decision an adult has an awful lot more going on you would think you'd hope oh my god you would hope right and i mean just the nature of having the choice in the first place right like these kids didn't have a choice like when claire the first time she went viral she was a toddler you know and now she's nearing adulthood and this has been her entire life and it was through no choice of her own how is claire's relationship with her parents i'm assuming that there's you know the parents kept some of the money well i mean it's interesting because that goes back to the legal issue which is that there is no legal requirement for Claire's parents to save a single dollar of what they make from this family YouTube channel for her. And whether they do or not remains to be seen. And she says that they say there's savings for her for college and other things. But, you know, you can't really know for sure until it's too late. And I think the stunning thing is, is that she's been working since she was a toddler and it's kind of at her parents' discretion of like whether she gets any money for that work or not or how Mm -hmm. much. Well, you hear that with athletes, right? The sort of, and actors and singers and, you know, this sort of emancipation thing that goes on 
um, mm-hmm. with them. Um, Fortessa Latifi is our guest here. She wrote this amazing article on Teen Vogue. It'll be shared at shiftheads.ca about young kids who are influencers all their lives because of their parents. Their parents basically sold them to the internet. Um, now, you also had some conversations with a mom and perspective from the other side of it. Where did that take you? Yeah, so that was interesting because I talked to a mom named Bobby who has about 4 million followers on TikTok. And she started a few years ago sharing videos of her um, older daughter. And, you know, she blew up on on mom TikTok, as that corner of it is called. And a few years ago, um, when she had been sharing for a year or two at that point and had a million or two followers she started seeing these like really negative comments about her daughter and she told me that she just kind of had like a an epiphany one night and was like oh my god what am i doing and so she that night went and told her husband like i think we need to take her off the internet i think this was a mistake and he said okay and they took every single photo every single video off even the like branded videos that she had been paid for, she emailed the companies and said, I'll redo it. I just, I don't want my daughter to be on. And I find Bobby to be really interesting because she still shares content about being a mom, but none of it is about her children. And it's a very fine line. So she'll talk about, you know, being like an anxious mom, or she'll talk about how tired she is or, whatever, but she never shows her children. She has two daughters now. And she also uses pseudonyms for them. And um, she calls the older one Richard and she calls the younger one concrete. And it's just kind of like a joke for herself and her fans. And um, she just won't show them. She just refuses. And she said that she realized that her daughter is not always going to be just her little daughter, that she's going to be her own person and she deserves the opportunity to write her own story of her life. As a poet, I'm sure that it it lands for you um, a little bit differently. And what I really hear here is that journey, maybe it's philosophy, but this journey of ourselves, of the things that we have and the things that we're guardians of, Mm-hmm. That's what I hear. Maybe the the wake up for Bobby was that she realized that they're not the kids aren't hers to have. Right? She's a guardian right. of the babies. Right? And we we often look in this real consumer based society that you know I have it, I have it. It's mine. It's mine. Mm-hmm. And when you change that perspective, I think as we grow up a little bit, that nothing is really ours. Even the things that are in your house. I mean, your your chair. If you just think of it as it's here and I have to care for it until it goes away. I'm a guardian of it. And if you think of life that way, that is a massive twist in wholeheartedness and authenticity and the way that we live. It's the way that we parent. It's, the, it's, it's conscious parenting. It's, it's the way that we treat our family, our friends, the things in our lives. And yet most of us, and I'm guilty of it too, I spent most of my life doing it as well. I was have, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. Um, get, get, get. And that was what my life was. Is that sort of the distinction where you're landing here? You know, I think so. I think that's part of it. Just, it was just so interesting to listen to Bobby talk about that realization that like her daughter wasn't always going to be her daughter and that this was going to follow her. And she wanted her to be able to 
you know, have their own identities and not have to live up to this version of themselves that's on the internet that's broadcasted to millions of people. And she also said that she decided to make it her job to entertain people, but that it's not her kid's job. And so I think the conflation of that can be really difficult, like with Claire's parents, like they decided to start the YouTube channel, but really it became Claire's job. And then with Bobby, when she felt like her child was getting too involved, she just totally pulled back. And I think it's also kind of an interesting thing because a few popular mom TikTokers, all with over like 4 million followers, like three huge mom TikTokers have decided to take their kids off of TikTok now. And I think it's kind of like just a natural swing of the culture, like from one direction, like we went pretty far in one direction. Now it's going back the other, but it is fascinating. And you think like you created this this identity for yourself and especially in the u.s it's difficult because we have like no social safety net we have like a real lack of community so like these moms are finding like community online and it's just it's really complex uh, it does dig into an awful lot of some of the ugliest things that humans are going through these days so you say community and that that belonging or lack of belonging is a thing uh, mm -hmm. it certainly exposes the insecurity um, it takes me back to the show Modern Family and the notion of parenting versus parenting. Mm. Um, I'm not, you know, cemented enough in my self-confidence that I need the acceptance of the kids to do that. And then there's just a, and this is my observation. You don't have to agree with me because I'm, maybe it's sharp, but there's just an element of selfish and reckless, um, that, in this there's a dad that i i he does dad jokes mm -hmm. but he never puts himself in the video and he has a very pretty teenage daughter and she's in the videos and i find that she actually looks very sad in the videos to be hearing mm -hmm. these dad jokes and everything on his grid is exactly that and i'm like first of all your dad jokes aren't great and second <laughs> like why is this all about your daughter i mean it seems a little bit like uh, a digital human trafficking right like you're pimping out your kid and she's pretty and she's probably going to get you a bunch of likes from from young boys. But at the same time, it's kind of creepy. I got to tell you, it's, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there's like a different discussion happening now around like how much are we putting online and, you know, just the understanding of like if you look at TikTok videos of little kids like there's a different amount of shares based on like what they're wearing or whatever. And it just starts to feel very uncomfortable very quickly. And I don't know that, I don't know that I can say any of these parents like go in with like ill intentions, but I think it's difficult once you start making money off of something and especially a lot of money very quickly, maybe to see it as clearly. I don't know. I think I think we're going to hear so many more stories like this, like Claire's, because one of the astonishing things to me was when I posted this story, I, you know, I put it on Twitter, I put it on TikTok everywhere. And, you know, people were guessing hundreds, thousands of comments of who Claire really was. And I was so struck by how many options there were. Yeah. 
Oh, that's a scary notion. I feel like the word amplify comes to me for Tessa in this, that um, you can amplify the story of a kid and make some dollars and amplify your dollars, but you are also amplifying your insecurity. You're amplifying a lack of intention. You're amplifying, you know, a lack of privacy and all those things. I mean, you can't, you can't have one without the other. And um, this is fascinating. You've done amazing work here. I love it. Thank you. It's scary though. Um, yeah. Like you could probably rewrite this article a hundred times with different people. I could. I mean, I think that's that's what is so astonishing is there there were so many options for who who Claire could be, and <laughs> I mean, there are more being made every day, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that doesn't even get into AI and everyone pinching it um, for oh, other gosh. things. So that doesn't even get yeah. started there. Uh, thank you for being here. I look forward to sharing your poetry, your books, uh, this article, and everything you've been up to for Tessa Latifi uh, is a journalist, an author, a poet, a writer. And, uh, uh, and this is awesome. Well done. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is The Shift Podcast. System breach. Just happened. Someone hacked me. And, all right, there it is. Crowbar, which was uh, Hank's dad's song, uh, Kelly Fordham, uh, Kelly J on there. Um, Hank, how are you, buddy? Welcome back. Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Shane. Cool. Well, thanks for taking this on because we did receive this note from the uh, interwebs that said, hey, question, how do we deal with our passwords? I'm paraphrasing, of course. And I think it was a really good question, Hank. What did you think? Oh, man, I that that question got me thinking so much. And, and especially with, you know, not not only with password managers and how do we manage that, but what do we do with passwords when we pass away? And how do we pass those passwords on? It it really got me thinking. I was like, you know, forbid I, I pass away tomorrow. Um, my family wouldn't have access to anything that mm. I would want them to have access to. And yeah. uh, so it got me Ironically, thinking Ironically, they'd have solutions. access to your browser history of all things. And you don't <laughs> yeah. want them to see that part. Uh, you know, there's even solutions for that. Um, oh, you can goodness. even have beneficiaries and trustees uh, clear stuff or delete passwords and delete oh, that's, and that's interesting. I um so I have a, a friend of mine Tim his name was Tim Classen if you listen in radio anywhere in Canada in Calgary Sudbury Montreal you name it um he was everywhere he was in Regina or Saskatoon for a bit too and uh Tim passed away a few years ago five years ago in fact and Tim's mom can't get into any of his stuff and not that she needs to get into any of his stuff because it's all been closed now but you know what she would really like is the little things he has an itunes account an old school itunes account where he used to buy the songs and yeah. so all of those songs and playlists that he made are still inside that itunes account even though you you know it's sort of all migrated to the new world but the playlists and stuff are still there and he would she would just really like to be able to log in and, and hear some of his old songs right that he used to listen to so she can get reminded of those things and i found that so that's older technology uh, but fast forward to today when my buddy uh, 
<clears throat> Steve passed away, excuse me, when Steve Sharon passed away, if you know Steve Sharon, he's from Sarnia and from Banff, uh, Steve had a profile on Spotify, and it was public. And so the Fat Muffin profile there was Steve. I was able to uh, go back and just listen to some of his playlists. So there you go. There's two. Don't need the password for Steve stuff because it's public, but this is a private thing. For the other playlists, you just like to be able to hear your, your person's music a little bit. So this gets really complicated quick and, frankly, quite touching if you can make it work. Man, and that's a really good point. I think of how you know, with Facebook, how they handle people who've passed away, they just memorialize the account. And um, and in your friend's case with iTunes, it, it they completely lost access to what would be, you know, these little things, the memories. And, and for a lot of people, these, these are really important things. And, um, but it, it's interesting to see that with some companies, the you know, the, the memories or this data is completely lost and some companies are still able to handle it in a way where they give, you know, they give loved ones and beneficiaries access to data, but not sensitive data or not data that they shouldn't have access to. And I think that um, Bitwarden has a really genius solution with the ability to kind of have emergency access so you can even set it up so if you're on vacation or you're you know you're away you're in hospital or something's happened or you know again you've god forbid you've passed away um they can actually hand all of that down to the bright person the person that you've named as kind of your trustee if you will or, or the person that you've named as your trusted emergency contact yeah, see, that's quite fascinating because, um, you know, you, you have people in your life where the health changes and you have to take over. And how much easier would it be when you could have access to the important things quickly and easily, right? Um, but still, you got to protect because sometimes there's, you know, weird Uncle Bob who's just trying to be the bad guy and steal things, right? And you've got to make sure that you are, you know, you got to keep weird Uncle Bob out and you got to keep the trusted loved one in. So how do we do that? You, that I, you're right on the ball, man. That was the next thing I was thinking of is like with Bitwarden with some of the solutions that they've implemented in some of these other platforms that they make it so, you know, instead of writing the passwords down on a piece of paper and, you know, hiding that away or um, maybe sending the passwords to yourself in a message or something, they, they make it so that the transfer of these passwords is encrypted. So, you know, say if, you know, Uncle Bob or whatever has access to the account, uh, some email account, or he has access to this notebook or something, that he wouldn't, he, he, you know, with if they were written down in the notebook, he would be able to access all of those passwords. But in the case of, of Bitwarden and, and some of these other solutions, you can just... It, the passwords are all encrypted and they're transferred in a way that can't be accessed but by anyone that's meant to access them. And I saw someone comment on one of the posts saying like, you know, I, I just write my passwords down and I, I keep them hidden somewhere. And I, I, I immediately thought that that's not a terrible idea as long as you're storing that somewhere that you would trust, like a lockbox right. or a deposit box. And yeah, and people even box, do that yeah. with crypto. Yeah. Well, isn't that interesting to say that? Because it's it's kind of going back to old school to be able to 
to keep those things and remember those things. And even if it's not the right password anymore, you can still maybe try a bunch of passwords to sort of find your way to get in there to do that. But here's a question for you. And, and this, I don't even know if you can answer this, but this is what comes to mind. So if you're paying for a service, what's one of the services you mentioned there? Uh, the the one that I really liked that I was researching was Bitwarden and, and okay. it's 10 bucks a year. So if it's 10 bucks a year, and it's on your credit card. It's on my credit card. And, and you're my power of passwords guy. And so I've paid my 10 bucks. Maybe there's three months left in my year. By the time it goes to renew, it's going to expire. Right. And so does the, that seems difficult to me. There must be a timeline or a grace period or something they're willing to do because you're going to have to get in there quickly if my deadline's coming or you're going to have to use your secret key that says, you know, Shane kicked it which gives you different access to all of that information. Otherwise, your account would automatically shut down because nobody made payment. And I would imagine that's going to be a problem in this scenario. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it kind of goes back to that, um, I guess, that the predicament, if you will, that, you know, if you're not going to, if you don't have the the paid or premium solution, which is $10 a year, which, you know, the credit card might have been canceled and you forgot to change it, like anything can happen. And so it, it kind of does loop you back to that old school method, like you said, with, um, you know, well, okay, here's my master password or here's my master vault for uh, my password manager and I'm going to leave that in a lockbox or with a trustee or something in case if I pass away, then instead of having to, you know, even then, if you didn't have the premium plan, you could make it so even with the free plan, all you're doing is handing down one password for the manager. And that might be through whatever legal scenario or, or legal method that you choose um, or even through your will, but then they can log into the password manager without worry of an expired credit card or anything, and then they can access all the passwords that way. The only, the only benefit that the the premium or paid, I guess, thing has is that your emergency contact would be able to access it without having your master password. Okay. Okay, well, that makes sense, um, which is, uh, again, quite fascinating and a solution. Now, didn't Facebook implement a thing a bunch of years ago where you could designate somebody as your sort of trustee if you died? Yeah, and so they had a feature, and, and I, I believe it's still actually pseudo-implemented. And, and what I mean by that is anyone who had it enabled back then probably still has the ability to use it now, but I don't think you can enable it anymore. Um, but they had the feature where you could pick five friends and it was kind of your trusted contacts. And uh, But the problem with that and the reason that it got kind of, you know, phased out, if you will, is because hackers started to target those trusted contacts and try and kind of social engineer them or hoodwink them into giving right. up a code. And, you know... I'm I'm still going to stand by it. I think that having a contact and even going as far as having two or three contacts that can help you manage these kinds of things or your your internet life in general um, is is absolutely a good idea and it puts you at a huge advantage in terms of 
you know, catching a scam before it gets too far or um, making sure that you're using your web banking safely and things like that. Hmm. Okay, that's fascinating. So if we're talking about passwords, it's Hank the Hacker here, and we're looking at all of these different bits and pieces, what you led me to believe, because if this is an old notion from Facebook, that means that that info is still in that database out there. And it's a good reminder that just because it's deleted from view does not mean it's not archived. I mean, there's a difference between deleted and archived, right? And so it is possible that some of these websites have so much data that is old data, data we can't see, but that doesn't mean a hacker couldn't get at it if they got into some really system, like uh, system root stuff. Well, I, I even, you know, I, I hate to bring it up, but I think of the Move It compromise that happened recently as an example of that with Move It was a file transfer program or software, and it basically allowed you to transfer your images and, and files and documents over, but uh, like over 122 companies were compromised because the, the Move It company got compromised, and because it was a file sharing or, or a file hosting service, there's tons of data that they had access to. Like, I, I think it's something over 15 million users from different, you know, different companies and areas and, and industries that they were able to collect information on. And, you know, it, again, with, I, I think this is something we spoke about a few months ago about, um, how long this data should even be legally retained for and how long should the data be allowed to be stored for until some hacker comes in and kind of scrapes it all away. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, so there's two topics here that I hear, Hank, is that, it, you know, if we're going to talk about our summer cyber safety, that means that there's two pieces there. Um, in the TV show, uh, Ted Lasso, I don't want to do a spoiler alert, but in the third season, um, some of the celebrities uh, that are celebrity characters in the show, they get hacked and there's intimate movies that are released. And so that's one thing to have files that get hacked and taken. But if, if someone's got in their table somewhere that, you know, Hank is my cousin, you know, Ryan's my brother and Jono's my uncle, and it's not publicly available. It was old data that was filled on the website 15 years ago. That, again, that gives them access to connect to the people in my life, um, unseen old data that's just garble in a table somewhere. Yeah, and it, well, and, you know, especially now, it kind of makes you think about what you're sharing online. How much are we posting online? I used to do security training for clients, and we would talk to them about, you know, you might be excited when you get that new job to post a picture of your ID card and a selfie of yourself on social media, but that you've all, all, all of a sudden automatically exposed a ton of information about yourself. And yeah. so it, it does like, if, if I could give any, I guess, kind of quick advice that would complement the, the summer of cyber safety. Uh, I would say that, you know, it's important that, and I know I'm preaching all the time I'm saying this, but it's important that you enable two-factor authentication. And it it might be, it might sound inconvenient, but it's it's a really good habit to have if you change your passwords every 60 to 90 days. And that way, if if at the very least, if you do become, you know, some of this junk data in one of these old databases, 
if your password is included in that, at least it's old data and no one's able to use that password to log in. I, there's so many companies, even big companies that I've worked with before that, you know, they, they've got the same password for almost a decade and they, right. they don't, they don't change it because it's convenient. That one happened to me just recently, actually, when I had uh, an alert that came in that your data was included in the breach of blah, blah, blah. And then it had the date of the breach. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, okay, well, I know that in 2020, this is the password I was using. I'm not using that password anywhere anymore. So that was, I mean, that was actually quite reassuring to be in that moment. Um, and because I, then I knew, I already knew that I was most likely going to be okay. Was there anything else they could have gotten into at the time? Because they might've used the same password for a different service. You know, they could have got in my Amazon and got into my, uh, my Netflix or something. But the reality was, is that because it was three years ago, that was old info. So, you know, th that's, that's actually quite reassuring when it comes to you that way. So I found that to be quite helpful. Oh, absolutely. And, and for any listeners, if, if you're curious as well to see if, you know, what, it, what date have I ever been leaked my password and, and what date was my password leaked? Um, you can actually go, just go to Google and type in, have I been owned? Uh, you can either type owned with a P or replace the O, or re sorry, spell owned with an O or replace the O with a P. So have I been pwned? Uh, and then you can search for your email or your phone number and see if you've ever been, uh, you've ever had your password leaked online. Uh, which is great, which is great news, by the way, because if I check mine right now, which I'm doing it for the sake of taking Hank's advice, I know that my Gmail, my personal Gmail has been, and I was never notified by those apps. Like one of those apps was an incredibly, um, an incredibly popular fitness app, right? It was, um, it was the, uh, Under Armour one. And I, I was, I was shocked and I didn't get a message. Nobody said my fitness pal is what it was, um, I was also with Luxotica, which is the glasses company, and um, and Canva in 2019, which is crazy to think. Like, those are big websites, dude. Oh, yeah. And you can even see, like, underneath on your results, you can even see what was leaked with that data. Was it a phone number? Was it an IP? Um, was it your, your name or your, your passwords? Um, and you can even sign up with Have I Been Pwned? you can sign up for notifications and it's, it doesn't cost any money. It doesn't cost anything, but they'll shoot you an email anytime in the future. If you're, you're detected as a part of a breach and the guy behind that website is very well known in the cyber industry. Um, so if you're ever detected in a breach, he'll, they'll shoot you a notification as well and let you know. That's fascinating. Um, here's one that is going to get everybody's attention and let's finish here is that one of the ones that is included for me is Zynga. Zynga, you'd be, be like, what is Zynga? Well, it's an outline of a dog and the logo and it was words with friends that got hacked, compromised data, included email addresses, passwords, phone numbers, and usernames. 173 million unique email addresses alongside usernames and passwords. So, I mean, if you have been on, this is in 2019. So if you were on Words with Friends in 2019, you're probably on there. And if you haven't changed your your password since then, that that's 
worth looking at. I don't want to scare anybody, but if it's, uh, have I been pwned? Have I been owned with a P dot com? Google it. Like Hank said, and, um, and do that. Cause a lot of people play words with friends. So very important. Yeah, um, and I, I feel like it ahead. just shows you why it's a good idea to change your password every 30 to 90 days. Then you're good. Then you're, yep. you're safe. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot, right? Like you could, I'm not saying this is the answer, but you could have Hank's password March <laughs> put in numbers and all the characters and all the things and don't use it like this, but you could keep it this simple. Like Hank's password, June, Hank's password, September. Like you could do that. And I don't recommend that. That's way too simplistic. You get what I'm saying, right? But it can be that simple of a change to um, get rid of these people who are just trying to do quick hits on you and get in and out. I mean, it's kind of like people stealing cars. I always say, you know, a professional thief's going to take your car whether you want them to or not. It's the hooligans that you want to keep up, right? Yeah, so. I like that. Well, Hank is here. Thank you for being here. Next week, same time, Hank the Hacker and our Summer of Cyber Safety will continue. If you have questions, shiftheads.ca, go to the Facebook group and post them up there. You can tank Hank Fordham. Uh, tank him? Don't tank him. Tag Hank Fordham. <laughs> and um, and uh, you can tag me too and tag Ryan, whatever, tag Jono. And we will all make sure that it gets into the conversation of any questions that you might have in order to dig into um, all of this. So I know that Blaine Kylo has his suggestions about password stuff. He wanted to share tomorrow night too, inspired by this, but this is why that conversation is so cool at shiftheads.ca because it inspires more learning and we get to figure it all out. Great to see you, Hank. Thanks for being here, buddy. Uh, anytime, man. And yeah, shoot, shoot me a tag on Facebook and I'll, I'll comment. I'll be there. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? All right. Ryan O'Donnell's in downtown Calgary. I'm Shane Hewitt. I'm in the city of Airdrie, north side of Calgary. And we have these stories for you. You can comment, please, 877-399-9898. Are you okay with? <sighs> Hot dogs. Are you okay with hot dogs, Ryan? Do you like the hot dog? <laughs> do, do, do I like hot dogs? I was approached by a Schneider's representative in a grocery store today because I was taking so long trying to pick out a hot dog type. I'm serious. This actually happened to me. And she said, come back in a few days because there's going to be a sale on. And she gave me the insider scoop. And uh, I'm very enthused because they now sell the foot-long hot dogs that you can get at Blue Jays games in-store. Mm. The issue is finding the buns. I will attempt to find a foot-long oh, bun or get creative. I have a solution. Hit me. Where did you find the foot-long hot dogs, by the way? Uh, today was at Safeway. Okay. I found them at Walmart. Um, I don't know if they're a regular item because they were in like one of those end bins, so I didn't mm -hmm. know. Um, use a sub bun. Oh. Not a bad idea. Works quite well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I did that for but... mine because footlog buns are hard to find. And so I found just that I went to the bakery and got like the, the, the in-store bakery sub buns. And I found that to be uh, just perfect. And I made my footlong hot dogs. Amazing. Sweet. Yeah. I mean, just it's the perfect time of year. And yesterday had to go to Costco. It was exhausting. It was a terrible Costco run. But the hot dog at the end made it worth it.
So, it's never a go. terrible Costco run, Ryan. There's it was no a terrible Costco run. Doesn't it happen. was awful. It was so busy. People were no cart etiquette whatsoever. Terrible. Never terrible. It's always worth oh. it. It's beautiful. How was the hot dog at the end? It was. It was actually happened beforehand. We were so hungry, we went in and got the hot dog first, oh. uh, which uh, was good. Gave me the energy to deal with the uh, Costco. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I no, that doesn't uh, happen. I can't hear you. Uh, Mike's broken. Oh, fair uh, it's always okay. good. Well, always good. Right. Costco. Well, I'll tell you what. Here, let's get this little uh, little uh, hot diggity dog clip before we get going. I won't rest until I've gotten a hot dog. Homer, this is a cemetery. Hot dogs. Get your hot dogs here. Woo-hoo! Not weird. Not weird at all. Um, it's that <laughs> time of year again, folks. Nathan's hot dog eating competition on the Fourth of July. 15-time champion Joey Chestnut weighed in at 225 pounds, and he's raring to go. They're expecting me to come out there eating fast, and uh, I'm, I'm going to deliver. And they, they, they want to see a record, and I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to deliver that, too. Uh, you know, I feel the pressure on the women's side to put up a high number, number in our contest. Um, I really want the women's field to rival that of the men's, so I kind of just consider myself a representative in that sense. I want the women's average to go up. The hot dog eating contest dates back to 1916. 1916? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So the hot dogs, um, I find this really disgusting. The hot dog eating. Not the hot dogs. I like the hot dogs. The contest so, itself? The co- well, just the fact that it's so much. Um, the whistle sounded at 218 and the eating began. I feel like eating is inaccurate. 10 minutes and 62 hot dogs later, 62 hot dogs later, Joey Chestnut stood alone as the winner, having eaten 14 more than the second place finisher. He was expected to eat 71 to 72 hot dogs and buns, but the two hour delay impacted the competition. They prep when they eat all that stuff. Slacker only ate 62. Can't believe it. Since 2005, Mr. Chestnut has eaten 1,152 hot dogs and buns in the event. Miki Sudo, who has won the women's contest eight times, won for the ninth time on Tuesday. She ate 39 and a half hot dogs. Considering, do some math here, and I'm just going to go on the general physics that a woman is probably smaller than the man, fair ball, um, that he ate 62 the next competitor got 48, and Ms. Sudo got 39.5. What a champion she is. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and uh, you want another number here? Joey Chestnut had 18,814 calories, 1,129 grams of fat, 1,487 grams of carbs, and 675 grams of protein in 10 minutes today. Do you think they puke after? They must. Uh, at first, the first time you do it, absolutely. But they they literally have to train their gut on how to do this. Yeah, but um, like 62 hot dogs. 62 years without Lizzie the Gladiator. Like just the volume alone it's has got to be so big. I don't know how you do it, but this is like... <laughs> it's really funny because Joey Chestnut has the most championship titles by sports. If you count this as a sport, which many people do, he has more than Henry Richard with Stanley Cups, more than Bill Russell and NBA titles, 
more than Tom Brady's Super Bowl wins, he's got a staggering amount. Like you could, if you count it as an athlete, which some people will, put him as one of the most successful athletes in history. I don't know. Athlete. That's reckless use of the word athlete. Um, but according to Yahoo Sports, both Mr. Chestnut, 39 years old, and Ms. Sudo, 37 years old, said they do intend to return and defend their titles in 2024. How long do you think they go without eating a hot dog after a competition? I don't I don't know. The interesting thing, though, is that Joey all, and most of these competitors do more competitive eating. Like Joey also holds the record for most amount of chicken wings downed in 10 minutes, that kind of stuff. <sighs> so these guys will go through a gauntlet of different types of foods. But a big fella? if I'm Joey, I'm training all year round. But I don't, you know, I don't know if you train with the hot dogs or water or what, but. But he's not. Ooh. Yeah, well, so they, they do soak them in water, right? They dip them in water to make the bun volume go down. But, like, he's not a big dude. Like, he's not what you would think, like, a, a like a large person eating like that. I mean, after he's done no. eating, he pats his belly because his belly is massive. But, <laughs> you know, hilarious. generally before he starts, um, he does kind of look pregnant afterwards. But he, um, before he starts, he doesn't, um, you know, he, he looks like a, 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 maybe a dad bod fit guy. Is that fair? Yeah, he definitely, he doesn't have a dad bod before the competition, but he has a dad bod after the competition. Oh, he has more than a dad bod afterwards, I can tell you that much. (laughs) Holy. Uh, Fascinating. Okay, well, there you go. Um, I feel like if I'm Joey Chestnut and I show up at a family barbecue and they're serving hot dogs, I'd be like, come on. I'm not working. I'm not working. (laughs) Are you okay with... Dinosaur costumes. I like the inflatable really? ones. I know. That's, that's I really want one. But the company that made them actually continued them for a little bit. And so there's a couple of other ones you can get. Uh, but uh, here's the thing. Like the way I see it is if you go to, let's say, like a comic expo where you have people that put hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars into a costume, whether it's Darth Vader or some character from a video game, you'll get some pictures. But if you go dressed as a t-rex in an inflatable costume people will take the same amount of pictures because it's just objectively goofy and fun Hmm. i like them my son had one of those the brown dinosaur ones where the inflatable ones i think that's fun um i think that's really cool so i think that everyone should have a dinosaur like a dinosaur costume kicking around you never know when you need it now, Richmond, Virginia, down in the States, since it is Independence Day yesterday, holds the unique record for having the largest dinosaur costume gathering, of course. Please remember that we need you to be fully inflated. You have to be covered from head to toe when we start our count. Line up. Everybody line up, please. Don't eat me. Come on. <laughs> it's our T-Rex run. And I just got chills. We're trying to get the Guinness record for that, which is currently 243. So if we can get the 244, Richmond will have the record for the most T-Rexes in one place. That says how weird Richmond is. And honestly, let's keep it weird. Roar, 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 roar. Stop eating each other. Yeah, line up over here. You hear about T-Rexes, you think about running around a park and that it excites people is what I think makes Richmond Richmond. So it's good to see and feel this energy. You guys look dynamite! Wait till you see it. It's fantastic. Three, two, one! 
How can you not have fun dressed in a dinosaur costume? Let's hear some good growls, too. That sounds like a riot. What a great host. Yep. You got it. You understood the assignment. No kidding. Okay, Jono, can you play the first, like, two seconds of that clip when he talks himself to being inflated? Please remember that we need you to be fully inflated. You have to be covered from okay. head to toe. See, fully inflated. When you ended up fully inflated, do it again and cut it off at fully inflated. Please remember that we need you to be fully inflated. See, that to me is, uh, like, way out of context. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. If we played that out of context, you would have no idea what this Are You Okay was about. That's so good. That was WTRV6. I do salute the host there. Great job. Richmond held on to that record until Portland broke it until now. With a fun and different way to celebrate Canada Day, Dundurn, Saskatchewan, aimed to break the current world record of 380 inflatable dinosaurs. With over 1,163 people dressed in inflatable dinosaur costumes, it isn't official yet, but the town and out-of-town guests celebrated their victory. People from all over traveled to support Dundurn, Saskatchewan's attempt to break the world record, with people coming as far as Arizona, Vancouver Island, Edmonton, Winnipeg, as well as locals from nearby towns around Saskatchewan to be an inflatable dinosaur. What a great great party and if you had no idea what was happening you know when you're driving and there's like a marathon or something or a bicycle race and you're like driving along and you're like oh bike race or you're driving along and you're like oh must be a marathon driving along you're like what in the world is that as a thousand inflatable dinosaurs run by there they were dancing and there's some fantastic video of the event now it's it's all on twitter so trying to share it on facebook might be a bit of uh, interesting right yeah, now. Yeah, you can't do that. Uh, yeah, you can't do that right now. Uh, we'll find a solution, but the video is up at globalnews.ca. It's, it is an outstanding uh, moment, a Canadian heritage moment. And I also just want to take a second to say I really, really love the name Dundurn. Like, that's an awesome name for a town. Dundurn. Yeah. It's got a nice ring to it. I'm from Dundurn. Love it. If you're from Dunder and you're listening right now, please text us, 877-399-9898. Give us a tidbit. Like, do you have a rink? Or what time does the baseball park close? I don't know. Send us something. Okay. Um, are you okay with empty flights? I yes. miss the days of empty flights. <laughs> Every loved, single flight. Loved it. Flying in it's, COVID? It, it's gone. When I flew during COVID... Um, that was amazing. Nobody yeah. in the middle seats. There was lots of times there was nobody on the flight. There was a one flight I'll never forget. Toronto to Calgary, WestJet, 787, which is the Dreamliner, the big one, 320 seats. Got on the plane. Um, I was sitting in the front. I got a pod that day. And, you know, you're sitting in the front. You board first, so you don't even know who's on the plane, right? So you don't go to the back. And it was my first time in a pod. I thought it was amazing. You lie down. It's absolutely the experience of a lifetime. It's like driving with a heated steering wheel for the first time. Amazing. And I, when the plane comes to the gate in Calgary, the, the, the front two areas, um, they, they get off first, right? Zones. And so you get off from the front two areas and you go and in the back of that plane, which is probably somewhere around the world of 290 to 300 seats, mm -hmm. three people. Oh, 
three that's, people. That's just uh, that's you'll never ever experience that like again in your life. I don't think I, so. I don't, I, I don't even I, I don't even mind like half full flights. I remember used to be able to fly to Toronto from Calgary and it would be rare that it would be fully packed. But every single flight that I have been on since 2021 has been completely full to the oh. point where the plane feels uncomfortable because just people bring all the carry on. And yeah, it's I miss it. I miss it dearly. Well, if you can imagine having a flight all to yourself, and we don't mean like a little private jet. It's all fancy, but it's like you in three seats. We're talking proper 737, typical, you know, jet that you would uh, you would fly from commercially, right? All of that, all to yourself, something that would never happen, almost. Bill Stringer, who was flying from Oklahoma City to Charlotte, North Carolina, his flight ended up being delayed nearly 18 hours by the time that flight was ready, every other passenger had booked another flight. So Stringer got the whole plane to himself. Despite the ordeal, Stringer actually felt bad for the crew. They had to get called. They were at their hotel. Like, they were going to go to bed. I felt so badly because I was like, oh my gosh, they literally had to come here for me. Tablets, cell phones, and smartwatches all in place in the airplane mode at this time, sir. And they were joking with me. They were like, no, you know, no peanuts, no, no pretzels for you. <laughs> Stringer says he actually exchanged phone numbers with the crew and was still group messaging with them today. Oh, that's fun. I saw that story. That was ABC7, by the way. What a cool story. He wrote it out. Everyone else left the flight, and he got to go on it. Mr. Stringer told the media outlet that they spent the whole flight chatting, joking, laughing with one another. Um, I don't know if he got free drinks or not, but I hope he absolutely uh, did. 877-399-9898. Um, some text messages to address some of the stories. Earlier, we talked about um, Mr. Chestnut, the hot dog eater, and his his uh, battle on the championship hot dog eating thing uh, earlier on Tuesday. Earlier in the evening on CNN, I saw the champion in 1990 hot dog eating contest. In order to win, only had to eat 15 hot dogs. Uh, we've come a long way as a society. Wow. Science. Yeah. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.